Good morning again. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 11, verses 29 through 36. You can also find those verses printed in the the back of your bulletin. And friends, if you do have a Bible, let me encourage you to bring that with you to the service each week. When uh, I preach, when Pastor Ben preaches, our goal is to point you back often to the words of Scripture. Uh, And so it would be helpful to have a Bible with you, to be able to, to look at those words from Scripture. If you do not have a Bible, please Come talk to me after the the service, and we will do our best to get you one. Again, we're going to be in Luke chapter 11, verses 29 through 36, so please follow along as I read. As the crowds were increasing, he, being Jesus, begins saying, This generation is an evil generation. It demands a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For just as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so also the Son of Man will be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And look, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented of Jonah's preaching. And look, something greater than Jonah is here. No one lights a lamp and puts it in the cellar or under a basket, but on a lampstand, so that those who come in may see its light. Your eye is the lamp of the body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is also full of light. But when it is bad, your body is also full of darkness. Take care, then, that the light in you is not darkness. If, therefore, your whole body is full of light with no part of it in darkness, it will be entirely illuminated as when a lamp shines its light on you. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do come and we give you thanks that it is your word that stands forever. Father, we pray this morning that you would give us hearts that are ready to receive that word. Father, we pray that you would help me by your spirit to faithfully deliver that word. Uh, Father, we pray for eyes to see and ears to hear. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Kids, youth, as we get going, I have a science question for you, a science question. There are two things that are required in order to be able to see. Two things are necessary to be able to see. Can you name either one of those things? Brain and the eyes. Brain and eyes. Not quite, but that's one of them. We do need eyes. Eyes. We do need eyes. I guess we technically need the brain because it sends signals, so good, good job. Anything else? God. Not God. We need light. We need light. We need light, and you need eyes, which have light receptors in order to receive the light. Without either of those things, you cannot see. There must be some, at least some small amount of light in order to be able to see. And of course, even if there is light, you need eyes in order to be able to see. Evidently, you also need a brain. We also need God. Those are not wrong answers. I just wasn't being specific enough. Oh, there's a great parallel to that in our spiritual lives. In order to to see and understand spiritual truths, eternal truths, we need light. In order to know God, we need light. We need God to reveal himself. Now, praise be to God that he has done that. The Bible teaches that God has revealed himself in his creation, in what he has made. 
Our world uh, illuminates the fact that there is a creator, God. But God has more specifically and more fully revealed himself to us in his word, the Bible, and through his son, Jesus Christ, the word who is made flesh. This is what Jesus says about himself in John chapter 8, verse 12. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows after me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is the light of life because it is Jesus who reveals the Father to us. It is Jesus who reveals God. But remember, we need two things in order to see. We need light, and the light of the world has come. Jesus has come. He has lit the way of salvation. But we also need eyes. We need eyes of faith in order to believe. Therefore, the, the, great, the great question of this text, of these verses this morning, is do you have eyes to see? In these verses, Jesus calls you in for an eye examination. Do you have eyes to see? In other words, what is your response to Jesus Christ? And the main idea of this text, and therefore this sermon this morning, is open your eyes to see the light of Jesus that is shining. Open your eyes to see the light of Jesus that is shining. And I have two points to help us consider this text and that idea this morning. The first is that the light is shining. That will be verses 29 through 32. And then second, open your eyes. That will be verses 33 through 36. And so first, the light is shining. Let's remember the the context of where we are in Luke, which will help us to understand these verses. So in our last sermon from Luke, which was a a couple of weeks ago now, Jesus had cast out a demon, and some of those present had accused him of casting out that demon by Satan's power. Others, as we see in Luke chapter 11, verse 16, demanded from Jesus a sign from heaven. In their minds, Jesus casting out of this demon, the the other miracles that he had performed were not enough. They demanded some further proof of who he was. Just consider that word that is used in Luke 11, 16. That word demand for a moment. They demanded a sign from Jesus. The same word that Jesus uses in our verses for this morning. He says it in verse 29, that this evil generation demands a sign. The people of Jesus' generation demanded that he meet their standard. They demanded that Jesus bow to their desires. By demanding a further sign, they were essentially saying that they did not have enough light necessary to see and believe in Jesus. They were saying that the, the truth about Jesus was unclear. By this point in his ministry, Jesus had cast out many demons. He had healed sicknesses. He had calmed the wind and the waves by his voice. He had even raised those who were sick and dead back to life. Yet the, the cultural and religious leaders of the day, the scribes and the Pharisees, were demanding that he give more. That he give further light. Actually, as we saw a couple of weeks ago, they were doing more than that. They were accusing him of casting out demons by the power of Satan. They were essentially accusing him of being evil. 
And the crowds who gathered were not much better. You see in verse 29 that the crowds around Jesus were increasing. He begins his teaching as they're gathering around him. But as you read through the Gospels, it is clear that the majority of the crowds were just there in hopes of seeing Jesus do something amazing. Not all of them, but the majority of them. They weren't really interested in, in following Jesus, and in their own way, they were demanding a sign. Jesus was the best form of entertainment around, and they were simply there to be entertained, to see something amazing. Friends, I'm, I'm not sure what brought each of you here this morning. I'm not sure of each of your attitudes towards Jesus. So I simply want to, to ask you this morning to examine your own heart and ask, is there some demand that you have or you are placing on Jesus? Some standard that you have set in your mind that he must meet before you are willing to place your faith in him. You waiting for some specific sign from heaven, like, oh, Jesus, if you would just do a miracle, well, then I would believe. Maybe you're just waiting for a miracle in your own life. You're withholding trust until he does something amazing for you. He would give you a better job or a spouse or, a, or make life easier. Then you would wholeheartedly follow him. Friends, what demands have you made of Jesus? In what ways have you said that the light that Jesus has given has not been enough, it has been insufficient? And friends, if you have placed some demand on Jesus and have said what he has done has not been enough, let me just ask, what would be enough? What would he have to do in order for you to believe, to, to place your faith in him? Because friends, here's the, here's the thing, if that is your attitude towards Jesus, Nothing will ever be enough. And just think back to all the miracles that Jesus performed, and yet the people of his generation, seeing these things, still did not believe. The problem was not a lack of light. The problem was that people did not have eyes to see. They had all the light they needed, but they still refused to believe. No additional sign would have made a difference, which was made clear by the fact that they would later not believe in Jesus' resurrection from the dead either. And so, friends, if you have been withholding faith in Jesus, the problem is not that Jesus has not done enough for you. It's not a problem that Jesus has not shown you who he is. The problem is that you have refused to see Well, even as Jesus called that generation an evil generation, Jesus' grace shone through. Jesus refused to perform a sign on demand for the people when they demanded it, but he did say that he would give one final greater sign to that generation. They would be given the sign of Jonah. As we see in, in verse 30 of our text, just as Jonah was assigned to the people of Nineveh, so Jesus would be a sign to his generation. He is a sign to you. Now, what in the world is Jesus talking about here? What is the sign of Jonah? Kids, again, you can probably answer this one. What happened to Jonah? What's the most amazing thing that happened to Jonah? Yes, he's swallowed by a huge fish. We just read about it. Well, we read about him being spit up a few minutes ago. Jonah was sent by God to preach to the wicked city of Nineveh to call the people there to repent of their sins, to, to turn from their wicked ways. 
that at first Jonah refused to go. He tried to run away from God. He got on a ship headed in the opposite direction from Nineveh. God sent a, a huge storm to stop Jonah in his tracks, to stop that ship. In the midst of that storm, Jonah was thrown overboard from the ship, but God sent a, a big fish providentially, probably a whale, though it's not a fish, but the people of that day didn't know that, uh, that swallowed Jonah whole and vomited him out on dry land three days later. So this is what Jesus says in Matthew 12:40 about the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the huge fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. In other words, the sign of Jonah was his time in the fish. The sign of Jonah to the people of Jesus' generation would be the fact that he would spend three days in the belly of the earth, the grave, and that he would rise again. He would come out just as Jonah came out alive from the fish. Jesus would come out of the grave alive. He would be raised. That is the final sign that would be given to that evil generation. The greatest sign, the heart of the gospel, is the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The problem was that Jesus' generation still would not believe even that. This is why Jesus said in verse 32 that the people of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment and condemn this generation. Because when Jonah came to the city of Nineveh preaching, the people of Nineveh listened to Jonah. They listened to the word of the Lord delivered through Jonah, and they repented. Seems that somehow they had heard about the time that Jonah spent in the fish. Maybe Jonah themself, himself had told them. Maybe they had just gotten reports from the first town that Jonah came to after he got vomited out on dry land about like the really smelly guy that says that he came out of the fish. Whatever it was, they believed Jonah. They listened to his message and they turned from their sins. And in response, God did not destroy the city as he said he would do. The, the people of Nineveh were instead met with God's mercy. They were met with God's grace. Look at what Jesus says in verse 32. Someone far greater than Jonah is here. Jonah was a prophet. Jesus was the greatest prophet, and he was far more than just a prophet. He's God himself, the Messiah, the Savior, the Promised One. But unlike the people of Nineveh who had eyes to see, the people of Jesus' day rejected him. They did not believe. They did not listen to his teaching. They refused to believe even after Jesus was raised from the dead. And therefore, when Jesus comes again in judgment, the people of Nineveh will rise up in judgment. Those people who have refused to see Jesus for who he is will be condemned for all eternity. Friends, we just sang that song, When Judgment Day is Drawing Near, Where Shall I Be? The, the answer to that question depends on whether or not you place your faith in Jesus Christ. Friends, the message of the Bible is that all people have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have all rejected our Creator God. We are all deserving of His judgment and condemnation. But in God's abundant love and compassion, He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to earth to pay the penalty for sin that we deserve. To take the condemnation that we deserve for our sin. Jesus lived a perfect life while He was on earth, and He died on the cross for our forgiveness. Three days later, he did, in fact, rise again. 
so that all who turn from their sins and believe in him might have eternal life. Friends, however, those who refuse to open their eyes, those who refuse to see Jesus for who he is, will face eternal judgment. Friends, if you refuse to believe in Jesus, if you refuse to repent of your sins and place your faith in Jesus Christ, you will be justly and deservedly condemned to hell for all eternity. That is the message of the Bible. That is the message of the gospel. So like I said earlier, the great question of this passage is, do you have eyes to see? Jesus has been raised from the dead. He is alive. Do you believe? You need no greater sign. Jesus has been raised. His living word and his redeemed people and even his creation testify abundantly to this fact. Do you believe? Friends, the, the answer to that question starts by asking, what is your own response to God's word? The people of Nineveh responded to God's word in repentance. They humbled themselves and they turned from their sins. However, when Jesus called the, the people of his generation to repentance, they closed their eyes and hardened their hearts and they refused to listen. They did not like Jesus' message. They did not like him pointing out their sins, so they refused to listen. And so, friends, what is your own response to the Word of God? I think the, the tendency in the, the world today, tendency in the world we inhabit, is to reject the Bible when it challenges our thinking and behavior. The tendency is to reject anything in the Bible that might disagree with us. Well, how dare the Bible say anything negative about homosexuality? And the Bible must be outdated and wrong. How dare the Bible call excessive worry and anxiety a sin? The, the Bible writers did not know anything about modern mental health. It's offensive to say that there might be a spiritual component to my anxiety or worry or depression. Well, Pastor Tim Keller puts it this way. To stay away from Christianity because part of the Bible is offensive assumes that if there is a God, he would not have any views that upset you. I think, friends, we can recognize that when we say it like that, it seems kind of ridiculous. And yet, how quick we are to dismiss any part of God's word that might challenge us, that might disagree with us. That's what the Pharisees did when it came to Jesus. They were self-righteous. They did not see themselves as sinners in need of a Savior. So when Jesus came along and, and challenged them, when he pointed out their sin, they did not look inwardly. They hardened their hearts, and they rejected him. In their minds, the problem was not them. The problem was Jesus. Jesus was the problem, and so they rejected him. And brothers and sisters, this problem of ignoring God's word when it speaks an uncomfortable truth is not just a temptation for those who don't know Jesus Christ. It's not just a temptation for non-Christians. It is a danger for us, too. And just ask your, yourself when you read something in God's Word that challenges something you believe. Maybe when it challenges your own behavior. Well, what do you, how do you respond? What about when you hear a sermon that points out an area of sin in your life and you feel guilt or, or shame over that sin? Kids, how do you react when your parents correct you for your sin? 
Church, how do you react when a friend provides a word of correction or a word of rebuke to you? Do you grow angry at that friend? Do you grow angry at the the pastor? Kids, do you grow angry at your mom and dad that they would dare say something that would make you uncomfortable? Do you try to ignore the conviction of God's word, the conviction that it brings until it goes away because you don't like that feeling of guilt and shame because it is an uncomfortable, unpleasant feeling? Friends, those are, are simply ways of closing your eyes to the light. They're simply ways of being blinded to the light. Friends, that is not to be our attitude towards the Word of God. God's Word is to be a lamp to our feet and a a light to our path. We are to delight ourselves in the commands of the Lord, to seek God through His Word with our whole hearts and to be reformed and corrected by the Word of God. This is the, the, the point that Jesus makes in our text when He brings up the Queen of the South. The Queen of the South in our verses, this is a reference to the Queen of Sheba, who is mentioned in both 1 Kings 10 and 2 Chronicles chapter 9. The Queen of Sheba reigned over the kingdom of Sheba when King Solomon was king over Israel. Now Solomon, as you may remember, was King David's son and the third king of Israel. He was given great wisdom by God. In fact, he was the wisest man in the world, the wisest man who has ever lived, other than Jesus. And so the queen of Sheba came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. This is what 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 1 says. The queen of Sheba heard about Solomon's fame connected with the name of the Lord. So she came to Jerusalem to investigate these reports that had reached her land. She came to see if Solomon was as wise as he was said to be, and if his God was as great as he was said to be. Now, Sheba was likely located in modern-day Yemen or Ethiopia, so this was no short trip to go to Jerusalem to hear the wisdom of Solomon. She probably traveled somewhere around 3,000 kilometers at least to reach Jerusalem. And what did she find when she gets there? 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 4. When the queen of Sheba observed all of Solomon's wisdom, it took her breath away. And then she said, the report I heard in my own country about your words and about your wisdom is true. But I did not believe the reports until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, I was not even told half. Your wisdom and prosperity far exceed the report I heard. Blessed be the Lord your God. What was Jesus' point in bringing up the Queen of the South or the Queen of Sheba in our verses? The point was that the queen of Sheba, this pagan queen, traveled 3,000 kilometers just based on reports of the greatness of Solomon and his wisdom. She wanted to see. She wanted to humbly learn. But someone greater and much wiser than Solomon was present among the people of Israel, Jesus himself. He was there right there among them, but they were not interested in them. They refused to hear from him. They refused to recognize his divine wisdom. Solomon was given God's wisdom, but Jesus is the wisdom of God. He is God himself, and he is greater. But they shut their ears to his teaching. Therefore, the queen of the south will stand up in the final judgment and condemn them because she was willing to make the long and difficult journey to hear the wisdom of God. But the people of Israel rejected that which was right in front of them. So friends, let me again ask you, what is your own attitude towards God's word? Are you eager to hear from Jesus? 
Are you eager to, to learn from him? Do you prefer to, to shut your eyes and your ears? The Queen of Sheba traveled 3,000 kilometers, but how often do we pass by the Bible that is right there on our shelves? Again, the question of this text is, do you have eyes to see? And that brings us to the, the second point of the sermon. Open your eyes. Look again with me, starting at verse 33. No one lights a lamp and puts it in the cellar or under a basket, but on a lampstand so that those who come in may see its light. Your eye is the lamp of the body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is also full of light. But when it is bad, your body is also full of darkness. Take care, then, that the light in you is not darkness. If, therefore, your whole body is full of light with no part of it in darkness, it will be entirely illuminated, as when a lamp shines its light on you. Again, let's just say the obvious part up front. These are not the easiest verses in Scripture to understand. But friends, if the Queen of Sheba was willing to travel many weeks to hear Solomon's wisdom, we should be willing to put in an effort to understand the Word of God. And friends, though not every single part of Scripture is easy to understand, though not all the details are clear, most of Scripture is readily understandable. The Scriptures were written to be understood. And though some of the details are not always clear, the main message is always clear. God has not left you in doubt about who He is. He has not left you in doubt about your condition as a sinner in need of a Savior. He has not left you in doubt about what you must do to be saved. He has not left you in doubt about his commands or how you are to live. He has not left you in doubt about his promises. He has not left you in doubt about the future. And friends, God's word can be understood by ordinary believers. In fact, one of the reasons that God has given you his Holy Spirit is to help you understand the scriptures. God has given his people eyes to see. He is gracious. We do not give ourselves eyes to see. It is his sovereign and gracious work. But because that is true, you can have confidence that you can understand God's word if you are a Christian. He has given you light, and he has given you eyes to see. And that being said, let's labor together to understand these verses we find here. Now, first, it is it's helpful to understand that Jesus is using two different pictures here. In verse 33, he's talking about himself as the light. That's verse 33. But then in verses 34 and 36, he turns his attention to us, the recipients of that light. Verse 33, Jesus is the light. Verses 34 through 36, we as the recipients of that light. So remember, two things are needed to see. We need light. That is Jesus. We also need eyes. That is us, our, our willingness to listen and see Jesus. So in verse 33, Jesus is the lamp that has been lit and placed on a lampstand. I'm guessing most of you have seen pictures of Times Square in New York City or Las Vegas. If not, just think of like the brightest, most lit up place in your own countries, the biggest cities that you can think of. Well, both Times Square in New York City and Las Vegas are places that are full of light. Bright billboards, huge video screens. Well, why are those places so full of all this dazzling light? Why are all these video screens there? It's because all the companies who have shops there, who have placed advertisements on the video screens or on billboards, well, they want to draw the attention of those who are visiting. They want to drive the eyeballs of those who have visited those places. 
They want you to come to their shops. They want you to see their advertisements. So they put flashing lights all around them so that you'll look at them. They're not trying to hide their ads. They're trying to draw your attention to their ads. This is the picture given of Jesus. He is the light of the world, and as is written in John 1, the true light, Jesus Christ. He gives light to everyone. He was not placed in a cellar. He was not placed under a basket. In other words, he has not been hidden. He was not hidden from the people of his day, and he has not been hidden from you either. Instead, he has been put on a lampstand for all to see. And friends, he shines much brighter than the lights of Times Square or the lights of of Las Vegas. The truth about Jesus has not been concealed. He lived on earth. He taught. He did signs and wonders. He revealed the Father. He has left his word and his spirit. So again, the problem with those who reject Jesus is not that there is not enough light. It's not that there is a lack of light. The problem is that people do not have eyes to see. And this is where Jesus turns his attention in verses 34 and 36. He began by saying that your eye is the lamp of the body, and if your eye is healthy, your body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your body will be full of darkness. I think we can understand this illustration if we just take a moment to think about it. So light enters your eye through your pupil, it's just the way it works, and it travels to your retina on the back part of your eye where there are a number of light receptors, or what we call photoreceptors, or what scientists at least call photoreceptors. If your eye is, is damaged, if those photoreceptors are damaged, your vision will suffer. If they were to be destroyed, or maybe you were, were born without them, or they were not functioning when you were born, you will not be able to see. That light would still enter your eye, but you would perceive only, only darkness. So blind people and, and those with healthy eyes, well, when they walk outside, they're exposed to the same light. They're exposed to the same light, but only those with healthy eyes can see. Of course, Jesus is not speaking of physical eyes in these verses. He is speaking about spiritual eyes. In other words, about your openness to Jesus, your willingness to receive the light of of his word. The Pharisees that Jesus was speaking to claimed to have light because they worked so hard to follow the rules. But it was the false light of self-righteousness. In actuality, it was darkness. There are many people in this world who claim to have light and truth. Hindu priests, Buddhist monks, atheist scientists. You can just fill in the blanks and keep going down the list. There are many who claim to have light. But for all those people, the light that is in them is actually darkness. Because it is not the light of Jesus Christ. And friends, physical blindness can happen for a number of reasons but most of them are outside a person's control. Maybe they have a disease. Maybe they were just born with eyes that were not working. But spiritual blindness is not like that. It is willful. It is deliberate. It is a choice. This is the way that Jesus puts it in John chapter 3, verses 18 through 21. Anyone who believes in the Son of God is not condemned. But anyone who does not believe is already condemned 
because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and, the, and people loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. Did you catch that? Why do people fail to see Jesus? Why do they refuse to believe? Because people love darkness rather than the light. Because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it, so that his deeds may not be exposed. Friends, this is why we need Jesus to give us eyes to see. In our sinful natures, we love the darkness. We hate the light. Friends, we will not come to the light on our own. It is a sovereign and gracious work of God. We need God to regenerate our hearts, to give us new hearts, to give us eyes of faith. It is a work of God. And brothers and sisters, this should be an encouragement to you as you share the gospel. Maybe with friends or family members who you've shared with many times, but they have not believed. Well, friends, it is a work of God to give eyes of faith. So we are to pray that God will give people eyes of faith. Left on their own, people will continue to love the darkness. It is God who gives eyes to see. A light exposes that which is hidden. You know, if you walk into a dark room, you simply turn on the lights and you can see everything that is in that room. This is what Jesus does to our hearts. He exposes the sin and corruption of our hearts. And since Jesus is the light of the world, you cannot be a follower of Jesus unless you allow his light to shine on your sin. If you confess your sin and turn from your sin, the Pharisees, they loved their self-righteousness. They loved their place at the top of society, so they did not come to the light. They preferred the darkness. They preferred to preserve their status. Friends, what about you? Is there a sin of yours that is keeping you from coming to Jesus? Do you secretly love the darkness? Maybe you know that following Jesus would require you to give up part of your lifestyle that you enjoy. Maybe there is some sin that you do not want to give up, so you stay in the dark. Maybe you know that that coming to Jesus would require you to give up some cultural religious tradition that would cost you friends and influence, the respect of people in your community. Maybe you're just afraid of the shame of confessing sin. Maybe there is some past sin or or current sin that causes you great shame, and so you want to keep it hidden. You want to keep it in the dark. Friends, have any of you ever played hide-and-seek with very young children? Maybe like a two-year-old or a a three-year-old. Well, if you've played hide-and-seek with a kid that age, you probably know that they think that if they cannot see you, you cannot see them. At least my kids did. So they think they're hiding if, like, they just close their eyes or they can, like, you know, put their head down where they cannot see you. They think that's sufficient. You cannot see them any, either. 
But friends, like, you're like one of those young children when you try to hide your sin from God. In newsflash, Jesus sees your heart. You cannot hide your sin from God. I mean, just go read the whole book of Jonah if you want an illustration of that. We read a portion. Go read Jonah chapter 1. So friends, if you've been trying to stay in the dark, we simply urge you to come to the light. Jesus sees your sin anyway. But he also promises life, and he promises light to those who come to him. Look again at verse 36. If therefore your whole body is full of light, with no part of it in darkness, it will be entirely illuminated, as when a lamp shines its light on you. Friends, if you come to Jesus, if you open your eyes to see the light, your entire life will be illuminated. You will walk in the light. You will finally see God for who he is. You will finally see and understand yourself correctly. Your life and your purpose on this earth will make sense. You will finally understand yourself as as God intended. You will finally be freed from the guilt and the shame and the power of sin. You will finally know what it is to be forgiven. You will finally understand what it is to have abundant life, to have eternal joy, divine peace and security, and an unquenchable hope. Now, friends, it can be a scary thing to come to the light, but the reward is worth it. There is nothing better than a life that is illuminated by Jesus Christ. And for you, church, for you, Christians, well, these verses show why it is so important to daily confess your sins and to bring them into the light. Well, as a Christian, when you try to, to hide your sin, it's as if your, your spiritual eyes are, are damaged. It's as if you're not receiving the full light of, of Jesus Christ. It's like you're living in the, the shadow world. When you, when you choose to dwell in sin for a time, you stop seeing God rightly. You stop seeing yourself rightly. Life no longer makes sense. Guilt and shame grow. You lose your perception of your security and assurance in Jesus Christ. Joy and peace fade. Brothers and sisters, the Christian life is to come back daily to the light of Jesus Christ. To come to him daily in humble repentance and faith. You daily need the light of Christ to shine into your hearts. And when you live like this, not only will your life be illuminated, but it will be a light to others as well. You will be a light to others as well. Jesus intends his followers to be conduits or or channels of his light to others. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Friends, the light of Jesus that is in you is to shine at your workplaces. It is to shine in your friendships. It is to shine in your marriages. It is to shine in your relationships with your children. It is to shine in your love for your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 and 10, through 10. For you were once darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth, testing what is pleasing to the Lord. Brothers and sisters, open your eyes and walk in the light. Let's pray.